Man of the Family by Ralph Moody, University of Nebraska Press, 1951. Just occurred to me, I am reading this chapter on my last night in Nebraska, so University of Nebraska Press it is. So it's chapter 21, Inventing and Blacksmithing. Lord God, I give you thanks that um, I have a voice, that I have eyes to see, I have ears to hear, um, and in that I get to hear and receive your goodness and share it with others. And so even as my voice will be on a podcast, I pray that it would be a blessing to many, that even our children and grandchildren, but others beyond, would enjoy the stories that they hear in Jesus' name. Amen. I didn't wake up the next morning till nearly 6 o'clock, but there wasn't a sound in the house. I wanted Mother to sleep as long as she could, so I took my shoes in hand and kept my feet wide apart on the stairs so they wouldn't squeak. But I wasn't the first one up. A lamp was already burning in her kitchen. Grace was there, but didn't hear me till I'd opened the door. She was sitting cross-legged on the floor in front of the curtain stretcher and seemed to be studying it as though it were a painting. She didn't say a word when she saw me there, just glanced up at me and then looked back at the curtain. I knew why as soon as I got around where I could see. The whole thing looked like an old dilapidated chicken yard fence with half the posts rotted out. As the curtain had dried and shrunk, it had warped and twisted the frame all out of shape. The lace was as stiff as parchment paper. The threads, broken threads stuck out around the edges of the holes like clawing fingers. The chewed-off corner was hunched up as though a dog had crawled through it, and there was a rust stain around every brad. I sat down beside Grace and said, <clears throat> Don't you think we'd better get, let this one go and do our practicing on a good one? Grace didn't say a word for at least two minutes. She just kept looking at the curtain. Then she said, There isn't a good one in the bag. I just looked. Are they all as bad as this one, I asked her. At first, she just shrugged her shoulders. Then, after a couple of minutes, she shook her head no. But they're just a bunch of old discarded stuff. I don't think any two are the same size or shape, and they all got holes in them. This one could be the worst. Do you think they gave us bad ones on purpose, I asked. Sure, she said. They didn't want to tell Mother she couldn't try it. And they gave her these old ones to discourage her. I looked at the old rag hanging on my ruined stretcher and said, Well, it looks like they did a pretty good job of it. Hmph. <laughs> Grace sniffed. That's because they don't know Mother. What I want to know is how we're going to build a whole new corner on this one. We were both looking at the place where the corner should have been when we heard Mother coming down the stairs. Grace got up quickly and drew one finger across her lips. I knew what she meant, so I picked up my shoes, cap, and coat, then took the milk bucket and tiptoed out to the woodshed. I waited to light the lantern until I was inside the barn. I didn't think much about my chores that morning, but kept trying to figure out a way to make a curtain stretcher that would do three things at one time. It would have to be strong enough not to twist or get sway back. It would have to fit any size curtain, and the brads would have to be made so they'd slide along and wouldn't rest. <clears throat> By the time I got around to feeding the hens, I thought I had an idea. After breakfast, I rode down to Mr. Nutting's lumber yard. When I came into his office, he looked up at the papers he was working on and said, Hi, yeah, little britches. What can I do for you? I don't know, I told him, because I don't know if it can be done. But can a buzzsaw cut an L into a piece of oak lumber? Spur him, cowboy. You got him going backwards, he hollered. What you mean is, can a buzzsaw cut an L out of a piece of lumber? No, I don't know. I told him. The L's got to be inside. Here, you draw me a picture of it, he said, as he brought a piece of paper and pencil over to the counter. Then, when I drawn it, he said, well, that's sure an L into a piece of lumber, but a buzzsaw wouldn't, wouldn't cut it. Well, you want to cut a piece of lumber that way for? After I told him all about the curtain business and how I planned to make the frame, he had me come into his office. Then he made me a set of drawings for a stretcher that would fit any size curtains that wouldn't warp and grooves so the brads would slide. After the drawing was all finished, Mr. Nutting said, How about working out a deal here? You folks do up Annie's lace curtains for her, and I'll furnish the stretcher frame. You'll have to finish your own, furnish your own hooks. 
I stuck my hand out across the drawing board and said, it's a deal if, you've, if you'll have it made by tonight. We might be working on curtains tomorrow. Mr. Nutting shook, shook hands with me and said, fair enough. Let's go back to the sash mill and talk to Lou Neff. He's not too busy today. We went back, but I didn't do any of the talking. Lou did most of it as he went over the drawing and about Mr. Nutting, and about all Mr. Nutting had to tell him was to use hard maple and st lumber instead of oak because it would be smoother. Of course, ordinary brads want to do want to work for the new stretcher. Instead, I'd plan to make hooks like a capital letter S that would slide in the grooves. They had to be strong enough so they wouldn't bend easy and they had to be made out of something that wouldn't rust. They had most everything kind of thing in the nimble nickel. So I went down there as soon as we'd finished talking to Lou and found just what I needed. The whole tray of little hooks for hanging curtain rods. They were made of brass and there was an inch of smooth wire before the thread started. The sign on them said 10 for 5 cents. But when I asked the manager how many I could have for a dollar, he told me too gross. I didn't want to spend that much till I was assured they'd work. So I took just 10, carried them over to Mr. Langworthy's blacksmith shop. He always knew the easiest way to do things with metal. And it seemed to me it would make a big job. It would be a big job to make my hooks one by one. Mr. Langworthy was shoeing a horse when I went into the shop, so he, so as he burnt the shoe in place, cooled it, and nailed it on, I found a little piece of soft wire and bent it into the shape I wanted. Then I showed him my curtain rod hooks and bent the, and the piece, bent piece of wire. Is there an easy way you know of, I asked him, to bend these brass hooks like this piece of wire and still not break them? I've got to make 280 of them. Of course, he wanted to know what I was going to do with them, so I drew a plan on the floor to show him how the curtain stretcher was going to hook and how Lou was going to make the L-shaped slots for the hooks to slide in. As I was making the drawing, Mr. Langworthy pushed a pair of new horseshoes into the center of the forge, looped his arm over the bellows pole. He never seemed to think about pumping it any more than he thought about breathing. His arm just floated up and down a little with the pole, the way a trout's fins, trout's fins do when he's resting. When I'd finished, he was turning the little curtain hooks over and over in his big rough fingers. Thinky little things, ain't they, he said. Take a man all day to bend that many one by one. Have to get them all alike, just alike, or they won't slide good. As he talked, he broke the screw end off the hook with his thumb and thumbs and fingers. Pretty soft brass, he said. Have to work it hot to make good bends. Tell you what, I ain't got time to make them for you, but I'll tell you what to do as you go along. Then we'll see what kind of mechanic you are. After I'd gone back to the nimble nickel for the rest of the hooks, I started my blacksmithing. Mr. Langworthy told me how to lay them side by side on an iron bar, clamp them down another bar, then heat them in the forge and hammer the bends in the whole row at one time. He explained each part of the job before I did it, and I was careful to do exactly as he told me. In less than an hour, I was hammering the last bend into the line of red-hot hooks. I think Mr. Langworthy was almost as proud of my job as I was. After he shut one eye and sighted along the row of little brass hooks, he said, By the Lord, Harry, given three times your weight, you'd make a blacksmith. Couldn't have been more like if you'd if they'd been bent in a die. While he was loosening the hand screws and cooling the bar of hooks in the water tub, I asked Mr. Langworthy how much I owed him, but he just laughed at me. Didn't put in over five minutes work on them myself, he said, and that couldn't come to over a dime. Supposing we settled with it with Bella's pump on one of these days. I knew I didn't really need to do it, but I wanted Harry Nutting to see what a good job I'd done on the curtain hooks. So I put them in my pocket as soon as they were cooled and took them up to his lumber yard. All the way up Main Street, I planned what I'd say to him so it wouldn't sound too much like bragging. He was looking over a load of lumber when I got there, so I waited till he was through. Then I took a handful of them out and said, I just brought these up so you could see that if I'd make them right, if I'd made them right for fitting in the slots Lou Neff was cutting into the stretcher. 
Whoa, back up, Mr. Dunning told me. You haven't been gone an hour. How did you expect Lou to have the contraption made? It'll take him half a day. Then he held his hand out for me to give him the hooks. He picked up three or four of them and fitted them side by side in his fingers. Where'd you find these? He asked me. Never saw anything just like them. I made them, I told him. Mr. Langworthy showed me how. Throughout of those little curtain rod screws they have with the nimble nickel. Mr. Nutting fitted a few of them together, took a rule from his hip pocket, measured them all around, and hollered, Oh, Lou, come take a look at this. When Mr. When Lou came, Mr. Nutting said, Remember telling me that Charlie Moody could make anything he wanted out of anything he had? Look what his boy has made in the last hour out of a bunch of curtain hooks, every one of them measuring right to the T. I would have liked to just let it go at that, but of course I couldn't, so I said, It was Mr. Langworthy that made them come out right and only did what he told me to. They said some nice more things, more nice things about what father used to do. Then gave, I gave Lou the rest of the hooks and went home. I didn't even take one of the little hooks to show Grace. I wanted mother and her to have the biggest surprise they, they could when I brought home the finished stretcher. Mother and Grace were behind the, with the cookery order, and they didn't even want me to come into the kitchen until it was all ready to load on the wagon. Mother gave Muriel things to make us boys a picnic lunch on the barn, and we stayed right there until Grace called me to get the wagon ready. Philip went with me on the cookery route, and we hurried as fast as we could. We finished by half past four, took the money we'd collected at Mr. Shellabarger, and were at the lumber yard before five o'clock. Mr. Nutting and Lou Neff were waiting in the office for me. They had the stretcher open to its largest size and standing in the middle of the office floor. The maple wood was as white and smooth as a slice of snow apple, and the little brass hooks looked as though they might be pure gold. I was anxious to take it home and show it to Mother and Grace, so after we'd played with it a little while, we loosened all the wing nuts and folded it up like a bundle of poles. Then Lou helped me take it to our wagon. I didn't want to get it all dirty before I even got it home, so Philip drove, and I sat in the back of the wagon with a frame across my lap. Usually I took care of Lady the first thing I did when I got home, but that night I left her standing out by the front gate when Philip and I carried the stretcher into the house, and then I forgot all about her for at least half an hour. Mother and Grace and the rest of the children, too, were about as excited with the new stretcher as I. First, they wouldn't believe that I planned a lot of it myself, and then Grace had said it looked as though I might turn out to have some common sense after all. When she liked me best, she always said sort of mean things like that. Before Mother remembered about supper and I remembered about Lady, we'd set the stretcher to nearly every size it could be. I never did my chores any faster than I did that night, and Mother waited till supper till I had them finished. When I brought the bucket in, I noticed that she had the raggedy old curtain all washed again and soaking in a pan of starch water. There was all the difference in the world when we stretched the job. When we started the job, Grace must have been thinking a lot about the chewed out corner. We'd hard, hardly tied the last wing nut when she said to Mother, Wouldn't it be easier for you to fix that broken place at the top than to kneel down to this corner? I'd have to be reaching all over, up over my head all the time if I did the top. They had basted the mending twist into the lace so it would, wouldn't get tangled in with the washing and starching. Grace slid out three long lengths of it, held the ends of them in her teeth, and twisted them with her fingers until she had a thin rope. Then she started... Before she started, the chewed-out corner looked so big uh, enough to have for a hog to crawl through it, but after she'd pulled the two old border strings tight with her new rope, a cat could have hardly get, got through it. Within 20 minutes, she knotted the strings to twist between each row of lace mesh so they never looked for all the world like little harp strings. I never saw her fingers work so fast as they did when she was twisting in the cross strings and drawing them tight to make the new mesh. I'd been so busy watching Grace, I'd almost forgotten about Mother. But when I looked up, she looked... She'd worked new threads into the broken edge so carefully that I could hardly tell where it had been. I wanted to have done some weaving myself, but I don't think mother but I think mother knew I'd be too clumsy. At first, she told me I'd done my share in getting such a good stretcher. But later she let me sprinkle the curtain so the lace would stay soft. 
That evening was nice enough to make up for the whole trouble we'd had the one before. I knew Mother and Grace would do the best they could, but I didn't have any idea they'd ever be able to make that old rag look like a lace curtain again. And I really don't believe they thought so either. We were all kind of proud of each other. It's funny how fast time goes if you're busy enough to forget about it. When the last thread was knotted in, we didn't seem to have worked more than an hour, but it was half past 11. Mother didn't seem to mind, though, and she didn't tell Grace and me we'd have to hurry right to bed and get a good night's sleep. She just looked at the clock and said, my, my, tempers fudge it, as Mrs. Hurd used to say. Oh, well, tomorrow is Sunday, and we'll stay in bed just as long as we want to. She stood back with her hands on her hips and her head, cocked over a little to one side, and looked the curtain all over. Now, let me see, she said. I think it would be best if we see, took the whole thing down and soaked it thoroughly before we tried to stretch it to full size. What do you think? We both thought so, too. And inside of two minutes, we had it all picked off the hooks. When it was wet, it went back onto the frame easily, but it didn't stretch the way we had hoped it would. The new threads are stronger than the old. And when we pushed the stretcher bars out to the full 4 by 8 feet, it pulled a good many of the lace meshes a little out of shape. Grace wanted to snip out the threads that were too tight and put it in others that wouldn't pull so much, but Mother said, I think we had better let well enough alone. We can't expect to make these in and make these into new curtains, but we have learned a great deal about what we can do from this one, and I'm sure we can do better on the others. Now let's all go to bed and give thanks for the help we have received. I had to go to school all the next week, so the only chance I had to help with the curtains was from supper time till Mother made us all go to bed at 9 o'clock, but Mother and Grace were spending every minute they could on them. Some went fairly easily, and some were rotten enough that they tore when the new threads were pulled tight. By the end of the week, Mother's hands trembled so much she couldn't tie the little knots. And Grace finished mending the last of the curtains while Mother did the cooking for my Saturday delivery. All day Sunday, Mother had to catch up on the housework that had been let go during the week. And Monday morning, they, her back ached so much she couldn't go to Denver with me to deliver the finished curtains. Grace went instead. Right after breakfast, Mother sent me to Mr. Shellabarger's for some big sheets of butcher's paper so we could wrap the curtains in long folds instead of creasing them. Then we spread a blanket on the bottom of the wagon and covered the bundle with a sheet to keep the dust off. Just before we started, Mother came out to the wagon and said, Be sure you deliver these to no one but the manager of the Brown Palace Hotel. For the moment, I can't think of his name, but he is a fine man. I don't want you to think he has done us any injustice. He hasn't. He was simply given us a chance to show whether or not we are capable of being trusted with their good curtains. I hope you'll examine these when you take them back in and tell him I'm sorry I was unable to bring them back myself. I think it would have been about as easy for us to visit the President of the United States as it was to see the manager of the Brown Palace Hotel. For the minute I started tying Lady to the lamppost in front of the main entrance, people in uniforms began telling us we were in the wrong place or that we couldn't talk to the manager. The bundle of curtains was awkward to hold and it kept slipping in our hands as they made us go from one door to another or from one person to another. Everybody told us we'd have to see somebody else and everybody told us we couldn't see the manager. After nearly an hour, Grace got mad and left me standing in the basement hallway with the bundle. She never told, would tell me what she did. But in less than 10 minutes, two porters came to take the curtains and me to the manager's office. He was sitting behind a big desk, and Grace was looking, was sitting beside it, looking as smug as a cat that's just cornered a mouse. <clears throat> the manager didn't say anything to me when we came into his office, but he told the porters to put the bundle on a table across the room from his desk. Then he went over, snipped the strings with the little scissors that folded in his pocket knife, and threw the paper back. On top was the first curtain we had done up. He looked down at it for a couple of seconds and said, well, I'll be. Then he fingered the new corner Grace had woven in and looked at it, around, at it carefully. I was standing right beside him. He swung his head around toward me and said, Who did this work? Mother and Grace did it together, I told him, and Grace did that corner. 
Who's Grace? he asked. She's my sister, I said. This is Grace right here. He looked around at Grace, and his voice was as gentle as could be when he said, Who taught you to do such work as this? Mother taught me to sew when I was little, Grace told him. He smiled and asked, How old are you now, Grace? Thirteen, but I'll be fourteen in March. He motioned for the two porters to go out, then went over and half sat on the front edge of the desk. Well, you're quite a little woman, he said to Grace. How long have you and your mother been up doing lace, lace, lace curtains? These are the first ones we ever tried, she said. We didn't have very good luck at first, but Ralph invented an adjustable stretcher that made it easy. Who's Ralph, he asked. I always spoke too quickly. Me, I said, but before <laughs> before Grace had a chance to answer. So you're an inventor, he asked me. How old are you, Ralph? I'll be 12 in two weeks, I told him, and I want to be an inventor. Father taught me lots of things before he died. He could always make things we needed out of anything he had. The manager laughed and said, from the looks of those curtains, I'd say I ran right through the family. He swung his hand out toward the swivel chair and said, sit down. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. Then he went out and closed the door. I sat down in his big chair, but I hopped right up again as soon as he closed the door. Grace and I were both jumped at the same time. I can't remember that we've ever hugged each other before, but we just couldn't seem to help at that time. Then we sat right down again and folded our hands in our laps till the manager came back. When he did, he had a lady with him. She was as smart looking as he as she could be and had a streak of pure white that ran through the center of her black hair. They stopped just inside the door and the manager said, Mrs. Dutton, these are Grace and Ralph Moody. I believe you met Mrs. Moody last week. After he looked up at us and said, Mrs. Dutton is our housekeeper, they went over to the table and looked at all the curtains. Their backs were toward us and they talked quietly, so we didn't hear what they said. In a few minutes, the manager turned to Grace and asked, if there were no mending necessary, how many pairs of curtains do you think your mother could handle in a week? Grace didn't have to think a second, so she must have had it all figured out beforehand. 20 pairs now, she said, because we've only got one stretcher and we have a cookery around on Wednesdays and Saturdays. But after this week, we can do all we can get. Both the manager and Mrs. Dunn laughed, and the manager said, Your courage is boundless, isn't it? Then he asked me how we <clears throat> brought the finished ones. With our, new, with our own horse and wagon, I told him. The man with the blue uniform wouldn't let us hitch Lady by your front door, so she's nearly a block down 17th Street. He laughed again and told us we'd go with Mrs. Dutton. She'd see that we had 20 pairs of better curtains to try our hands on. Miss, Mrs. Dutton was as nice to us as the manager had been. She showed us the door we'd use when we came again and the linen room where we'd make our deliveries. Then she took us into her little office and made out a slip for Grace to sign. It was an order for the cashier to pay us $6.60 for the curtains we'd brought we were thought we were doing up for nothing. When we left, Mrs. Dutton had a porter carry the new bundle of curtains to the wagon for us, and we drove home as fast as Lady could trot. Mother was as tickled as we were. Grace didn't very often have a chance to bring home any money, so I carried the new bundle of curtains into the house as she carried the $6.60. I know Mother was pleased about the money, but she seemed more anxious about the bundle. She opened it as soon as I put it up on the kitchen table, and her hands were shaking as she tried to untie the string. In that bundle, the curtains weren't all wadded up, but were folded neatly. Mother picked up the top one in her hands and shook it open. Then she spread it out over the table and stroked the lace with her fingers. Her voice sounded almost as though she loved it. Isn't it beautiful, she said. I knew the brown palace would have only the very best. She didn't look up, but her hands moved back and forth over the lace, and she said, You see, children, we were only being tested with the other lot. The manager of the brown palace was wise, and he knew that he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. That is why we, he is now willing to trust us with these beautiful curtains. Now I am sure the Lord spoke to me.
Grace's fingers were tracing a circle on the curtains, and she said, I'm sure he has spoken to me several times lately. Mother's hand still stroked the lace as she asked, Yes, dear, what did he tell you? Grace didn't look up from the table, but said, That you'd kill yourself if we didn't give up the cookery route. None of us made a sound for at least two minutes. The mother turned to me and said, Son, when you take your Wednesday delivery, you may tell our customers that we're closing our cookery route. And don't forget to thank them for the business they've given us. Lots of changes coming around in the Moody family. And, man, it is neat to hear how a manager took good care of uh, the Moody family. I love you guys. Have a great day wherever you are.